0: Welcome to Surviving Society. With
1: Chantelle Lewis and Tiso Regis.
0: Executively produced by Georgia Forey Addo. If you enjoy the podcast and find it useful for your ever-expanding sociological imagination, please support us via Patreon.
1: If not, you can always support us by sharing, subscribing, rating and reviewing.
0: Welcome to another episode of Surviving Society. We are really excited today to be joined by Antonia Lucia Dawes. Did I pronounce it right? Perfect. Yes, (laughs) Lucia is such a nice name, I love it. Um, Antonia is a lecturer in social justice at King's College London and co-convenes the school's race equality task group. Antonia has a PhD from LSE titled Naples in the Time of the Spider. Um, Antonia is also currently working on a book project and larger research project on the military present uh, the military presence in Wiltshire, yep. which is with uh, scholars like Ron Ware, who listeners of the show will know. Mm-hmm. Um, but today we're going to be talking about um, Antonia's book, Race Talk, Languages of Racism and Resistance in the <laughs> Neapolitan Street Markets. Antonia, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Um, listeners or regular listeners to the show will probably recognise Antonia's voice because she guest hosted an episode of The Spotlight Season and we loved that episode so much. We were like, Antonia, you need to actually come on the main show so we can just Mm. combination of pick your brain slash learn from you on all all stuff naples thinking about italy for me i just don't know that much at all and but my only experience of italy as in going i've been a couple of times mm-hmm. is i'm not i'm not gonna lie to you in europe it's probably the place where i've had the worst racism mm-hmm. yeah it's Apart, like as in interpersonal <laughs> racism like the maddest stuff so like i need to sort of roll back and like come with a like sort of open mind about this place as somewhere that like you said has racism but also resistance as well
1: i I, I always found italy to be quite interesting like i said i agree with chantel whenever i've been i've had mad interpersonal racism but it's a country in europe that experienced true fascism but also i know it to be a place of mad migration by different groups historically right so there's been different groups of people from all parts of the mediterranean it's that kind of conflict there's loads of migrants I know that are there historically as well. So it this kind of juxtaposition between the mad racism, but yet I know this to be a very cosmopolitan space.
0: And also but is it, a, it did Italy ever colonize anywhere? Yeah. Oh, they yeah. did? Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Because I was like no so sorry, George is looking at me like why wouldn't I know that? Mm-hmm. I always I don't know. What's the, what's so, that what was the mm-hmm. Italian Empire
2: like? It was um uh it's the first kind of imperial forays into East Africa on the part of the Mm -hmm. um, fledgling Italian nation were at the end of the 19th century and they happened around the same time that the south of Italy was being annexed um, as uh, to become part of this new Italian nation. So up until the end of the 19th century, Italy didn't exist as a nation. So there's a connection between expropriations of lands in the south of Italy and the ways in which um, peasant revolts in the face of that because, you know, there were sort of promises made about land being distributed that were not kept to. The land remained in the hands of the same barons as before. And at the same time, um, we've got these first imperial forays that then um, into East Africa that um, were then consolidated under fascist rule. So, I mean, the first chemical bombs were dropped over Ethiopia by Italians. So um, it's a very Italy has a very significant part in this history that is not very well known in terms of our understandings of the history of colonialism, but is very, very not well known in Italy. Um, and there wasn't, you know, unlike in Germany, there wasn't a post-war reckoning with the kinds of racial science that were at the root of, um, of that, you know. So, I mean, I found in my mum's house in Italy, I found some of her secondary school textbooks years ago. I, I haven't been back in a while, and I really want to know if they're still there because I'd really like to photocopy them, but, you know, there are reproductions of racial type. I mean, we're talking about the sixties. Okay, so there isn't, there hasn't been that, and I think within the Italian university there was a moment, probably from my understanding of it, maybe in the eighties and nineties, and I might do correct me if you all know this history better, where a lot of work was being done to try and re um, evoke that history and to understand what had happened, but because the university is in such crisis economically, um, that. Um, that work isn't very well known and there isn't that many people doing this work now so it's um there's a, a hole in our knowledge see think, Antonio genuinely. you
0: told me like look at me just sat here like what, what was that
2: what was what was what was Italy's role like what was it and a big time big time and it just shows you how but also symbolically yeah. important moments that kind of marked a, th- a kind of threshold you know that we can't go back because we've done something that has so brutalized our humanity Collectively, as as Europeans, as white Europeans, you know. What, what's interesting. interesting, though, right? So,
1: Italy conquers Ethiopia, but up until then, Ethiopia had yep. been it's a Christian country, right, in mm-hmm. North East Africa, right. So, when the country is colonized by Islam, we were only Christian nation left, and up until then, Ethiopia had good relations with Europe. So, you have Portu- the Portuguese sending soldiers over there to defend Christendom, and it turns out a, a Christian nation, Italy, conquers Ethiopia.
2: And they'd also sent the Italians packing.
1: Yeah, yeah, and they, them, they, they, win they sent well, them. the won as well. Yeah,
2: packing the first time they went. So mm. there was um, the, the ferocity, and I, you know, I'm not a historian of empire. There's um, a number of um, important books that. Um, I mean, Angelo Del Boca is one historian who's mm-hmm. kind of tried to retrace this history, although he's considered quite a problematic figure in how he talked about contemporary migration. Mm. But I mean, the ferocity. Can be thought of as a kind of response to the humiliation that was meted out to the Italian troops who tried to colonise first time around. <gasps> I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, oh my god, sorry. When we this try is... to think about violence and what, yeah, ju- yeah, yeah. And what is the justification for um, differing levels of violence, I think that
0: it's so important. Yeah. Um, okay, Antonia, tell us. We're, we're going to talk. We're going to talk about Naples, and we're going to talk mm-hmm. about naples and napoli that's the same place isn't it we're yeah. going to use that we'll, we'll probably use that yeah, it's interchangeably napolitan
2: and neapolitan neapolitan yeah because we say napolitano we don't say neapolitan Neap- yeah. neapolitan is because it was a greek city it means new city it was a city founded by the greeks
0: this is sorry t- i'm just looking at it's tiso because this is his favorite way. this is this is like <laughs> tiso's favorite <laughs> favorite topic this type of thing, like rome greece anyway right how tell us how you got to be studying and wanting to understand more about these histories but more in particular about Naples tell us tell us
2: I'm from there primarily so you know for me so I came into doing this kind of work because you grew up there no okay so my mum is from a village south of Naples so in fact if I'm I cannot claim to be Neapolitan because people from Naples will not have that Um, country (laughs) country bumpkin okay okay so it's a a village halfway up a very very high mountain and that's where my mum's from and um, we spent maybe a quarter of the year there every year growing up Mm -hmm. I was taught to speak Italian um, and um, for me it was just this place of really significant kind of lateral wider kind of kinship structures that I found just so sustaining throughout Mm. my life um, and at the same time, um, you know, there was ways in which I was kind of from there and the daughter of my mum, the grand, the granddaughter of my nonna. But, you know, I was also uh, not an, an outsider. So I, I grew up sort of and a lot of this stuff rotated around language for me. So I'd be asked about my accent mm-hmm. or I'd, the little children would run around behind me and my sister saying speak English speak English speak English but that's how they would speak to Americans returning migrants from America as well this speak English thing mm. that was like a torment for us so i kind of came into doing the project i did and the work i did having that kind of experience that was a bit sort of painful um, and having also met you know i remember when i was about 12 i met a an american black young girl my age around 11 12 we on the beach in italy and she's her, her dad was based at the nato base so we we were you know, we are, um, are the, the American military presence in Naples is really, really significant. When you used to fly in, it, up until the 80s, you flew into a military base. No because way. They, because you talked about histories of fascism and migration, but there's also a history of kind of left Italian anarchism and rising kind of communism um, that was really brutally suppressed. Also, if you look at Ian Chambers' book on on the Mediterranean, it was really bl- brutally suppressed through um, American intervention through the mafia in the south. So we have a kind of solidified organized crime as a result of um, uh, kind of an American imperial 20th century intervention. And again, I'm paraphrasing quite a complicated story. But (laughs) um, I remember this girl saying to me, oh, I hate it here. I hate it here so much. And I was like really offended because for me, like I was saying, it's like Mm -hmm. this is a place of solace and I couldn't really quite understand. And I just sort of think now that she was telling me something about racism Mm -hmm. That you weren't That's able just to see. That's my gut. I couldn't see. And I felt offended, like personally offended. But then I think she was trying to tell me something. And she was pleased to talk to someone in English. Mm. Um, so I kind of lost the thread of this a bit. But basically... No, we're,
0: we're talking about you. We're talking about you. This is you. me. This yeah. is where... It's, it's hard, it's hard just, talking about this. yourself. So yeah, yeah, basically,
2: yeah. issues around identity.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, because I really did grow up between two places. I spent so much time in Italy that I really felt like I was from there as well as from here. And then where did you grow up here, sorry? Cambridge. Cambridge, Where there's a significant community from my mum's village area. Really? So there's a hotel there called the Sorrento Hotel, which is was mm. my godmother's hotel. She lives lives in the same alleyway as my mum, right? So people would come through mm. and work there for, as a waiter or waitress for, in the hotel or a cleaner, yeah? Mm. And then, um, whatever, move, move on. So there's this tiny community. It's not like Bedford that's like 50% Italian. But um, I've got, I know people from around there, but mm. uh, there is that kind of community. So that, That's how come my mum ended up in Cambridge and met my dad, basically. Anyway, I went to university. I ended up doing a course on French Caribbean fiction um, and encountered Edward Glisson, who is a very significant, has been a very, very significant scholarly influence um, in my life. And um, then I found myself, I went off, worked in sales, for a bit hated it. it was just after the financial crash and then i saw this master's called race ethnicity and post-colonial studies at lse my parents actually said why don't you go and do an ir masters and i was like in, in, they said, international relations International relations, international for, relations. For, uh, because they business. were like yeah then you can be like um you know you can be like a diplomat they really were into this idea mm-hmm. obviously that isn't because then i said i'm going to do this master's race ethnicity and post-colonial studies and that was a master's designed by paul gilroy claire alexander and suki ellie mm-hmm. at uh, london school of economics so that's how i ended up and it was just following my gut and being quite unhappy Mm -hmm. and um yeah that was really transformative it's from there that I ended up writing this PhD proposal that has then ended up being um the book that I've written and I guess I was trying to find a way to contribute usefully to understandings around race and racism and how it works um using my own experiences but also not not just creating space for discussion about what's happening in Italy, but actually maybe using it as a useful jumping-off point for kind of increasing understandings around these issues, around racism and how it works, and the different you know racisms and how they function in different contexts. Um, so yeah, that's long answer. No. Mm-hmm
0: that's a really really like insightful and important um answer thank you so much antonia and i think that what you just said about um wanting to do some work that created space to talk about race and racism that is and i just want to sort of like finish finish what i think you were saying that is situated within a place and space that we have don't have as much understanding of but actually can tell us a lot about local and global politics of migration Mm -hmm. nationalism race, racism, whiteness. Mm-hmm. Um so I think that that is I think this is such a good example of that. And actually just to contextualize for the listeners, I'm just gonna read a bit from your book, I hope that's okay. Oh, yeah. Um okay. which I think gives a a political sort of foundation of to why this this area and this topic is really important for some of the existing scholars that we've had on the show, but also topics that we cover. Um so you said, antonia um in Napoli some things never change and some things change all the time. One key way in which geopolitical and economic changes have configured the book relates to local, national and international political narratives and policymaking around migration in Europe. The Arab ring, which began at the end of 2010 and the collapse of the migration pact that Libyan leader Gaddafi made with Italy shortly after his death in October 2011, led to the arrival in Italy of around 50,000 people fleeing political upheaval in the region. ...primarily nationals of Tunisia, Nigeria and the countries in the Horn of Africa. In February 2011, politicians in Italy declared a state of emergency. However, the situation with migrant arrivals was nothing new. Italy had declared migration emergencies almost every year in the previous decade. Boom.
2: So this is a reality that we've been living with... ...that um, has recently become the subject of interest more widely but um, has just sort of started to form a backdrop. I mean, in you know, in my field of research, they called all migrants Lib- Libishi, the Libyans, because of where they'd come from, but they were not um, themselves uh, Libyan nationals mostly, and a lot of people arrived having... Um, there was this situation by the time I got there that um, a lot of the people who were like um, Tunisian nationals had been given short-stay visas or had been given visas and had moved... To on the understanding that they didn't want to be in Italy and they'd moved further north. So there were a lot of um, people in my research who had fled as that as that situation had kind of collapsed in Libya. And they were from Niger, Nigeria, Guinea, Guinea-Conakry, and Horn of Africa. Um, and, and they were the people who were kind of in my... Um, on the kind of edges of the street markets that I was in, some of whom, because they were just sitting around and were for years sitting around... Um, waiting for some kind of status to be allocated to them so that they could, I mean, move on, mostly, you, not stay.
1: It, do you think it becomes of global significance what's happening in Italy because of, I can't pronounce his name, Silv- is it Silvani? Ben, oh, the, the Salvin-
2: Salvi- Salvini. The Salvini. We can mispronounce his name. Yeah, so, I yeah. Think yeah. we should actually <laughs> make a point. <laughs> <of it>. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I do you think it becomes of global, global recognition because of him, because he represents almost like the vanguard of pushing back on what... Are pushing back on migration particularly black migration mm. in the in the kind of context of whiteness being under threat mm-hmm. so it, it who
2: becomes, is this guy so Salvini was the leader of a political party that actually started out as a separatist party wanting to get rid of the south of Italy as a problem so that actually it's a later iteration There's, Um, The Northern League he was part of. Northern League, yeah, yeah. thank you. So they were actually a kind of regional, um, because the north of Italy is so much richer. So, you know, he's had a lot of uh, support coming to the south and talking about the migration problem because we in in the south are at the kind of um, boundary of witnessing these, like, really atrocious and traumatic... Is he like your Italian Enoch? He is more... He was more... um, parochial than that okay he's he's made himself into more of a national figure Farage, then Mm.
1: kind of not really sorry i
0: know you can't just make direct comparisons
2: but like who was you see i don't know i can't make quite quite make because we don't have a kind of you know the scottish kind of nationalism that we see i wouldn't which is is about let's can we separate off Mm. it's not it's not the
0: same is it there are
2: you know his politics have found fertile ground in the south amongst southerners who um have decided that migration is a problem but they with a very short memory that it was actually our southerners that he was trying to get rid of um you know not not too long ago uh, yeah i mean he's because he was he's been able to push through a number of very exclusionary bills and actually the immigration laws that came in in 2001 which made life really 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 difficult for and really criminalized a lot of migrants and i would argue particularly worked to criminalise and deny status to um, particular migrants um, because of the kind of racialised stratification of the labour market. So if you look, like, you've got this bag, right? this bag was good is antonio's a louis
0: got has got a louis which i'm really appreciating but
2: it's
0: not real it's <laughs> fake right oh is it so it doesn't you, look
2: fake you know I, I know that i know because they make get, them in naples oh they make them in when you going back naples. when you going back next <laughs> i'm actually going <laughs> to connect <laughs> and i will hook you up can you see that in the internal pocket can you see that there's spelling mistakes Okay, this
0: so Antonia just showed me her Louis, and in the in the internal pocket, there's some mistakes in it. But the leather feels
2: this proper. This is a high quality fake. Love with, it. Okay, so one of the street vendors in my research, who was a Senegalese man, who he um, gave this to me as a gift. So this mm. would go for about at the time he said it was about hundred. He'd sell it for hundred euros. So, what happens in this industry? Is that Italians make these bags, and what what this is, this process, it where they where they make a mistake on a stamp, it's called cabbaging. So that means that they're like, oh, the mistake, throw it right in the bin. It, then it becomes, gets sold in a different context. Hmm. No, like, yeah. I didn't know saying. that. Hmm. So, so like, so your fake, your fake, is not actually a fake. This isn't a fake. This is ex- look at the quality of the leather on the handles. Hmm.
0: Antonia.
2: So... God, sorry, 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 sorry. Look at me. I know, it's look, at my little, look at my little, little, my little consumerist eyes lighting up. <laughs> is relatable content. Me. I, I mean, I use it every day because it means yeah. a lot to me, this yeah. bag, you know, and he took a lot of risks in his life and he really suffered a lot of consequences, the person who gave this to me. Mm. So, and he gave me, you know, data. So what... His story. Yeah. And, you know, I hung out with him on street markets for months on end. And, you know, so, I mean, I got a book out of our interactions yeah, and he, yeah. he went to prison. Sorry. So what happened? What, what, okay. because, because this because is illegal. This.
1: Yeah.
2: But what happens is that you arrive, the Italians make these in the factories. Often, mm. the sewing, mm. according to um, scholar Camille Schmoll, mm. the sewing of this bit, st- the, where they sew the handles on, that is done often by Bangladeshi migrants. And mm. the selling, which is the most visible, the most dangerous, the most risky in terms of getting caught by police, is done by Senegalese men, a lot of the time Senegalese, Malian, also Burk- Burkina Bay. Mm. So who ends up who mm. ends up paying the highest price for and this is not a participation that people have any choice in mm, mm. like you arrive if you don't get a job in a factory in the north of Italy, which people were, were all losing in their droves in 2011, 10, um, twelve because of um, austerity got, got really brought in in really mm. a really big way in Italy um, you've got people to pay back you you end up being hooked up with a network of kind of traders because, you know, the Senegalese, for example, yeah. are historically, to you know, medieval periods, you know, his ancient traders across mm. continents. And you, you, that's what you do. You sell this stuff. Mm. And then you, you get a record and then you don't get a visa ever. And it was the laws brought, sorry, circling back mm. to Salvini. It was um, a, a kind of immigration package that was developed um, with Leganort they were kind of they um led it quite um forcefully that um they called it the Bossifini immigration law okay that um includes elements that um have worked very well now I tried to find data just just to, to um I wasn't able to do this, and I wonder if somebody else has got this data, but like how as a kind of percentage, how many for example senegalese people in Italy are undocumented I know we don't have data on who's undocumented. Mm-hmm. But is there some way of, you know, uh, measuring the impact on particular communities? Because obviously says something very interesting about how race works, how racism works, right? Um So anyway, and that's something I've been interested in. I, it's not something that I ended up exploring in, my, in the book, but um yeah, yeah.
1: I don't know, like um so
2: everyone looks a bit shocked. No,
1: no, no.
0: No, no, It's stand lights like, we're always but, like every time a guest comes on, I'm like upsetting. Sat here. No, no, it's, it's it is upsetting but also like I'm just always shocked at the levels of investment and in organisation that goes into
2: uh, structural racism, negative racialisation and the hierarchies of race and and then we've got people here in England like um you know Alan Sugar saying about by the way Senegalese football team who just won the African Cup yeah come on exactly in our household there has been a lot of joy this week Uh, yeah (laughs) um like George is oh, shaking oh, look, his head. I yeah. yeah. Oh sorry. We got it.
0: yeah, Ghana, got
2: gone. So we we we're at peace again then. No, no. <laughs> oh, good Jonathan West though. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's another discussion. <laughs> that is true, that's true. But yeah, I mean his comments about the Senegalese football team, oh I think I saw them in Madrid or some you know, mm. trying to sell me bags. I mean like this is like a really, really powerful image that um that it that exceeds the borders of Italy so we don't know about italy but you do and it's and it is and those that dis- the disasters happening there are here in mm. so many ways that are not
1: no i i think i think you're i think you're correct people. i think what you're seeing like when Andrew sugar made those comments i think they uh resonated with a lot of english people because that's how they encounter them mm-hmm. and i think people call them like uh, the looky looky men or whatever yeah there's lots of slang for them in the English language. Racist
0: slang. That racist slang. Well, yeah. <laughs> what's interesting though
1: is the kind of pushback or the kind of, how globalization is hoping, helping to change that. So for example, what's quite popular now is Senegalese wrestling. So yeah. Senegalese wrestling is quite yes. popular and it's been taken up by the, by kind of like brands that people, mm. well, known, well known established brands like the UFC, etc., cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So this is a kind of pushing back on those kind of uh, images or interpretations. Is it have. a
0: pushing back or is it an evolution of exploitation?
1: Well, they could be quite part, part of both but it yeah, also because again it falls in the tropes of the black mandingo yeah, the yeah, black yeah, masculine yeah. male yeah. but also but we're still pushing back on this idea that you're kind of an economic uh, an economic migrant of the bad type in mm. inverted commas you know mm. you
2: can so, be marketed you can be sold yeah. effectively mm. under racial capitalism
1: so there, there's all these things going on but like again like like you said, we're not I mean, shocked. at least
2: you got the nationality right, because I, I was at a First Communion in Cambridge, an mm. Italian First Communion a, a while ago, and mm. they were saying, oh, you're doing work on Italian migration. Mm. And I said, no, I'm not doing work, because I've had to sort of tell Italian people, you know, of my wider mm-hmm. networks, like a number of times that mm-hmm. that's not my research. Mm-hmm. And... Um, And this guy went, oh yeah, I was in Pisa, and there were these really tall Nigerian men. I'm obviously Mm -hmm. completely neutralized. Just from nowhere, just from
0: nowhere. Let me tell you about these black people I saw in Italy. (laughs) They
2: were trying to sell me these bags, and I was thinking they weren't Nigerian. I don't. I would very much doubt Mm -hmm. it because I know that that's not how that works. Mm -hmm. How this whole industry, how the informal economy works. Mm -hmm. So yeah.
1: But again even though he said nigerian but it's the idea that for the he's at least attempted to identify that africa's mm. a continent made up of countries oh yes. rather than just saying i suppose African, that's hardly, right? yeah so you so you, there's, there's progress oh, there's, please there's give us nothing give us nothing there's progress, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> there's progress. but um <laughs> but what was quite interesting when i was reading your stuff antonio like like say for example if naples it's got its own dialect of neapolitan right yeah so the idea of language Coming mm-hmm. in, what you kind of speak about, like you make he you made an allusion to the Tower of Babel. Yeah. Like, m- people speaking many languages. Mm-hmm. So in the Bible, that is so that means they couldn't be understood. Mm. But you kind of look at it as this is a way of g- gaining understanding mm. through multiple languages.
2: Yeah. So this idea of Babel is um, something that I used as a metaphor in the book, um, y- drawing on the work of um, Edward Glisson, Martinique and. Um, a philosopher and writer who is becoming much more well known in the UK, so I'm sure a lot of people know about his work. And you know, he was very interested in multilingualism as a kind of um, result, a kind of non-forced but consensual result of colonial domination, which, as part of the kind of cultural imperialism within it, was also kind of about. Um, uh, um, the effacement of language and cultural differences um, and the kind of um, enforcement of a kind of homogeneous language and cultural identity. Okay, so we've got the kind of imperial dominance of English. You know, in France, they worry a lot about French. You know, everyone needing to know how important French is, but actually, you know, um, you know the history of French colonialism teaches us a lot about um, French cultural like, language imperialism. And So um, he says that what he was thinking... Gleeson was obviously thinking about Creole in the context of the French Caribbean and in the context of Martinique, um, where he was writing from and thinking about. And he's saying that... Um, that what He's saying that it's a kind of result of a desire to live with difference that we have with each other so that we find some way of forging um, communication in a context of radical inequality to each other and that that is a kind of... Um, language of the people it's a counterpoetic of the people it's um a way of speaking back to the kinds of um monocultural monolingual hegemony of power right so i hope i've explained that kind of yeah, in a useful way um so naples is somewhere that um italy is a country where people spoke many languages so neapolitan i mean people will bring me up on calling it a dialect like people will will say it's not a dialect; it's a language because you know, as Geneva Smitherman, amazing American um, linguist, you know, talks about. She's uh, she, there's this quote from talking and testifying when she talks about the use of the dozens in um, Black American communities that the, your mum jokes as a kind of space of um, easing of tensions. Anyway, she's a uh, look up Geneva Smitherman if you're not familiar with her work. Um, And she said in one of her, I think it's talking and testifying, she said that who speaks the language and who speaks the dialect depends on who's who's got the guns or something, something like that. Right. Who's got power. So, um, you know, my grandparents maybe did three or four years of school between them. They never got taught Italian as a result. Um, You know, my grandma would say things like I can't talk like when she was literally talking to me she'd be explaining a recipe and she'd say, I can't talk. So the level of kind of sorrow that people feel, or the kind of way in which people's words have been removed from them. I mean, I remember being in the field actually for my research and just to give you a sense of how this is a really commonly felt feeling in in Napoli. um, There was a woman who, um, her daughter had been... um, her daughter. So she had this. She'd had her daughter was the child of a Malian refugee, and she was a Neapolitan woman, and she stole um, jewelry from a, an unlicensed stall on the edge of one of the markets. And her daughter was often with her, and she would run around and talk to the other street vendors. And in this particular street market, a lot of the street vendors were Senegalese. And a Neapolitan man had come up to her and said, "No, you shouldn't let your child hang out with these." Um, these Africans because they have diseases and she, I, I found her and she was crying and she said we have diseases we have cholera and then she said I'm so sorry I can't talk I can only speak Neapolitan but what she said was so powerful mm-hmm. you know um, this fact of Neapolitans being diseased I mean when my mum arrived in um, she won't thank me for telling you this, but when my mum arrived in England in 1978, there was a cholera epidemic going on in Naples and people there were people that died from cholera and um, she was an au pair and there was a, um, her, her the child that she looked after was pl- trying to bring a child next door to play with and he said, I'm not coming over because Luigia has cholera. So, you know, um, I mean, my mum didn't understand, by the way, because she didn't speak English, but she was later, it was later explained to her what had happened. So, you know, uh, she was this woman who was speaking to me on the street market was explaining to me something really profound about difference and um, e- experiences of subjugation that are common, and what solidarity and common and conviviality is. And um, it was interesting that. Um, she, that language so often featured in as a way of people saying I, I can talk or I can't talk or actually language is at the root of this, but it became a, a proxy for talking about race and racism and difference in so many different ways across the course of the project. And for myself, um, you know, I talked to you about the children shouting and sp- speaking English I asked. I mean, questions around um, whether I could speak or be understood were really significant to my own um life um i mean i suppose i speak italian like really well and maybe maybe that's not that common um i not i'm not sort of part of an italian community of people my age in Cambridge, so i didn't really mm-hmm.
1: but, say, do you, but do you think so as language is a kind of cultural repository of identity so people here as a language, French, and if sometimes it's associated with being sophisticated, mm-hmm, sexy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, like in your kind of book, the kind of African languages, they refer to them as being sung, mm-hmm. which seems... It, it and seems, the Neapolitan as sung. Yeah, as, as being sung, right? Mm-hmm. So these languages, they don't seem, they don't have that, the same kind of cachet as those European, no. the high English, for example. Absolutely. So they, if you speak your natural dialect uh, in Neapolitan versus the the kind of national language of Italian or English, it's seen as a bit more sophisticated. Mm-hmm. It's racialised. It's racial, racialised yeah. yeah.
2: within a hierarchy. So, language, yeah. I mean, linguists talk about language hierarchies, and I think Geneva Smitherman talks about language hierarchies. Um And um yeah, you know, so there's, and it's, you can, so obviously speaking English is, and, But it's also connected to um, like material life outcomes. So Mm. to get an academic job in Italy now, you need to have like A1 level, um, um, uh, native, um, I'm not sure exactly what A1, but it's like um, fluent, maybe is the right word, fluent English to get a job in Italy. No.
1: You can see why there's a kind of anxiety around language because Mm -hmm. languages can become extinct. They can become dead. And so there's dead languages. So, not Latin. The en- not
0: the English, though.
1: I know, but Latin. So, for example. I you, know, but
0: you can't compare. No, lat- no. The, no y- but y- what I'm
1: trying to say to you is like, ah. if you look at the UK, for example, look at the Corn- Cornwall and their dialect. Yeah. It's the fear of being become extinct. So, you can see why there's an anxiety around absorbing other languages and not, or stop speaking your native tongue mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. languages can become dead and mm. people associate with decline.
0: But uh, just to sort of pr- ha- provocation here, Teeson, what you're yeah. saying, I don't think that's what's happening with that context that Antonia just gave for, you um, need an English to have an academic job. No, I, think no, about, t- I think that's about um, respectability, racialization. No, I wasn't um, thinking
1: that, I was thinking that in, in terms of it, parts of the book, like people talk about being the anxiety. I agree of with Tiso that yeah. there's a kind yeah. of
2: fierce regional pride, mm.
1: which
0: yeah. is
2: articulated often through language mm. loss mm. and the loss of Neapolitan um associated with the arrival of migrants or where the r- arrival of people from outside italy becomes like the um projection of those anxieties yeah, we, yeah <laughs> right so we've got like a song in naples from italy and from naples will be so- familiar with the song called tamuriata nera so tamuriata is like a folk means like a folk thing so there mm. was a revival of uh, folk music around the 1970s, around the same time as there was the so, um, uh, you know, rising communism and a student movement, and you know, the 1968 generation, they all say, okay, Nira means black, right? Mm. Okay, mm. the song is about the birth of a mixed race, a black child to a Neapolitan mum and a black American GI. Mm. Okay, because after Na- Naples liberated itself from the Germans, because mm. that Neapolitan people rose up and they kicked the Germans out, that's also something. That is not very well known about the south of Italy. Um, the Allied forces entered, and a lot of the American soldiers were were black, right? Mm. And so children were born. And you know, when I t- that song is sung by people of my generation at country, um, at parties, you know, at festivals and stuff. And when I say God, that's really that's really hurtful. Um, so, and I should say some of the lyrics. So the, the song starts: A child was born. He was born black. Um, blah 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 and then there's a little bit where he says oh and his mum calls him Chido or Antonio which is Antonio as, which are very very ne- Neap- Neapolitan names very typical names as if to say you know what's she thinking giving this child a name that belongs to our people kind of thing and anyway, you'd have to look up all the words to the song. But I say that song is really hurtful. And people say to me, you don't understand. We suffered so much. We were eating leather. We were starving. They Black were. people
0: were sleeping with our white women. <laughs> like, but that, but that is what it's saying. But, and do you but, know what?
2: So, uh, you know, a white woman that is with, uh, you know, there is accusations of prostitution. <laughs> and and they this, go back this to is
0: true. This is really, I think this is really Im- important. Um, This is really important stuff, and it really correlates with um, the UK context as well. If we think about places um, in the West Midlands where Black GIs were stationed, Mm -hmm. if we think Mm -hmm. about Worcestershire, we think about Devon, Mm -hmm. and like you Mm -hmm. don't—it's so interesting. It's such a interesting way that it gets—it's been symbolized and spoken about through song Mm -hmm. because we don't really have—and we don't really have that kind of thing here. But the same thing happened, Mm -hmm. and the same kind of feeling of.
1: Um, in in the 1980s, Madness, who obviously part of that same inter- interracial ska movement, they do a song called "You're an Embarrassment." Oh
0: my god! Okay, Well, not nice, sorry, but that's, but, that's, that's but similar. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that.
1: But it's the same yeah, thing. Yeah. But it's again, it's about that anxiety that sits around. Miscegenation, mixing of the yeah. races right so it's, it's a similar thing it is
0: it's, it's very similar and i guess what's interesting about t says but how what how old is that song
2: when's that song come because we're thinking black Eyes, we're thinking like 50s yeah that's when you're you're seeing so it's talking about that phenomenon so you know the revival of this music is around around the 60s so i mean i didn't i'd need to check exactly what year it came out right what's interesting to me though is that we don't know that song i mean you know yeah but I, Everybody I, I, knows the song I'm talking about in mm. the context I'm Can we talking look
1: it about. Up? I, I know that song because it was sung to me.
2: <laughs> <He's> <laughs> <how> I, <that's laughs> oh, that sounds stressful. <laughs> that's how I know that song. <laughs> like, that's so grim. Listen, I like, mean, I am
1: 16, man. Like, there'll
0: be songs, and listeners, you might be able to um, tweet at us, but there'll be songs about a loss of or a, a contamination of whiteness. Mm. Um,
2: yeah.
0: That the, and, and there's obviously films, and there's, mm. uh, but, but it's just in. But it's interesting, yeah. How there's two things, sorry obviously we're we're talking about the race racialization of italy and the south of italy but it's even within that and i think that's one of the most powerful things about your book even within that racialization that marginalization that subjugation of people from naples you have this hierarchy of racialization still mm-hmm. anyway being it's, reproduced yeah. yes. and like the consistency in that being like a, an anti-blackness as well yeah. which is what i guess coming back to sort of the beginning of the episode which is what why when i read the book i was like god these people have been through so much
2: but why when i go there are they so horrible to me that's like i thought we right, had that like... we need to circle back around yeah your yeah first, yeah, to your first yeah comment which is interesting um when you spoke i was my immediate response is actually to say that oh I've I've had friends who have come um, to visit me and yeah rough and horrific experiences mm. that I've just been like trying to but I love stop it I on. love
0: Italy so much
2: so like. we have a phenomenon of um, trafficking of Nigerian young women yeah right <laughs> so a lot of the um, ways in which I think you were being racialized but yeah. also are cut through with ideas about sexuality and gender in quite, um, I mean, as they always are, but in relation to this phenomenon, this social and phenomenon. And that
0: would of- actually really make sense because when I was there um, with my husband, who's white, the like waiters and stuff, um, this was in the South of Italy, this is in the South Italy, so this is near um, Amalfi. Waiters, obviously, sorry, we're talking about completely different places, but we're just talking about Okay, because
2: I'm, near, I'm from near there
0: yeah I love it there the just don't, but that is some of the worst plate, like yeah. that is the way I uh, yeah was treated that was just yeah I've never experienced anything like that but that makes sense now and what you're saying in terms of sex work because it was as if I was my husband's mad what concubine. Concubine. <laughs> do you say
2: concubine what do you say I've it, been stopped yeah I'm not trying to compare no. the experiences as equivalent but I've been stopped at like three in the morning coming back from mm-hmm. like with one friend one Italian friend once and I didn't have my papers on me and in Italy you have to have your documentation do you it's uh, the law. I think and I didn't have any idea.
0: <laughs> sorry, we're just talking about we just we always talk about like but countries law, where yeah.
2: we, we can't go <laughs> I anymore. I like, I, like. I like being scary. But sorry, carry on. Right. You have to have your papers with you. You have to have ID. I was quite young. Anyway, they didn't believe I kept saying my mum is from Vico and I live in Masakwano, my mum's mm-hmm. village. And they were like, hmm, the police were like, no, no. Mm-hmm. And th- then I started trying to write my, they wanted my address from Engl- Engl- English address. But anyway, I ended up having <laughs> to write the whole thing down on their bit of paper for them. And because the problem was, is that my friend who I was with would have had points put on his license because he was also somehow implicated in the fact that I would forgotten to bring any ID with me. There's assumptions made that I'm like Ukrainian. Mm-hmm. Um, right, and before that, Polish, and there are also connections between ideas about sex workers, and mm. and I just thought, did they think that I was like, he's like a prostitute that he picked yeah. up? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why they beha- were behaving mm-hmm. that way, and that was uh, around the same
0: area as as the listeners will know. Like this is very much a podcast which is embedded in the politics of both supporting, loving, and nourishing sex workers, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but it is just interesting about. Because that that was a process of racialisation and one that is is implicated in notions of respectability, mm-hmm, class, mm-hmm. nation. Like we know that East, uh, how like Eastern Europe is racial, like racialised yeah, 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 and right. yeah, I think this is I think these are really important anecdotes to re- seeing how this plays out in the everyday. So, I mean, I didn't mean to
2: imply. No, that no, no. I no offended, one was. No, one, I was trying to understand. You, did, you didn't imply that the at the all. I just wanted the to the make dynamic. make it clear. But I also wanted to say in relation to that. So my understanding is that there are kinds of agreements made uh, around criminal activity to keep um the visible elements of that out of the tourist areas which is what yep. makes money yeah where, so where you were that is where that is the only part of that region where there's any work oh interesting and people work 6 months of the year so they want it to look respectable mm. really respectable around there and they're quite bougie and there's a lot of there's a lot of um My understanding was that there are agreements made that like drug dealing does not happen. So you need to go towards the city to get drugs. And I'm just wondering if there is elements of the negativity that you experienced that can be explained in that way. But I have no idea. No, but
0: I think it's really important to think through. And just another addition to the anecdote, which I think is also important, is that um, my husband's two daughters are um, mixed South Asian but like don't don't necessarily pass as mixed and the way they were treated was even different to how I was treated so they are racialized in a very like islamophobic mm-hmm. way that is like a monitoring um yep. heightened do you know what I mean around yeah, it, yeah. Islam and Muslim even though they're not but they're being racialized as such so I think that that's what your book like made me think about when you' when um we'll obviously draw back to that now and how how it's so important even though we want to talk about what is similar across structural interpersonal systemic um, processes of um, racism and racialization but actually looking at the particularities of the hierarchies and how those not necessarily hierarchies how the differences um in how race talk or um racialization is experienced within places is i think is really important
1: you have many different nationalities there. Like going back to the idea of Babel, so everyone's speaking different languages, mm-hmm. and we account on racialization, but we need to be understood. So there is a, at one level, there is an agreement, a functional conviviality. Yeah. So there is a functional conviviality that happens in most kind of spaces. Yeah. That people do this to get by, mm-hmm. but what kind of happens sometimes? And I kind of picked up from there is a kind of um, an ambivalence that's generated by it. So people say racist stuff, but people ignore it. Mm-hmm just to get by yeah, yeah. and yeah. that's i think quite interesting because that ambivalence like from like from bauman's work can turn into kind of a kind of a kind of uh, um an oppressive force if you will mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's quite interesting i kind of thought when you when the guy a part on your book when they're talking about i can't remember the guy's name it's a black guy and he's got two pictures he's taking a picture with the two white guys mm, and they, yeah. t- they joke yeah. and they jostle when they talk about race mm-hmm. and to an outsider it seems quite a, a quite a, a racist thing they're talking about yeah. but they're just talking in a functional way to get by
2: yeah is
0: it to what extent can you as a black person in that space how much space have you got to within you to deal with that do you I, I, know what i mean i think
1: i think for me it, it, it damages both parties right yeah so it damages both parties it Damages the black guy because he can't really he doesn't really know he's chipping what, away, yeah, it's chipping away. But, the, but the white guys it's it shows you how kind of emasculated they, they feel in their own position, yeah. how precarious they feel. And, yeah. so they, and so these kind of things that they're talking about, and they're talking about, in quite, seri- talking about quite deep, complex issues, but in a kind of, in a kind of blase, flippant flip, flip, flip way, because that's how you cope. That's how you cope with, with the bullshit that both parties have to grow up, because mm-hmm. essentially both parties are at the bottom. If mm-hmm. we looked at yeah, class interests, if, mm-hmm. yeah, if you're talking about class interests, mm-hmm. you're both economically at the bottom, But how do you deal with that, right? Mm -mm. You talk about the only things that you can, where you have power.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of it rotated around kind of hyper-masculine performances Mm. and discussions around, you know, multiple wives. A lot of it was Islamophobic as well as, like, racist, um, like, drawing on um, really violent racist ideas about black masculinities. It was... um, as I, I, I don't know really what to say beyond like that it feels it felt unresolvable these kinds of tensions and it felt like the kinds of really ick kind of conviviality that was w- which had kind of forms of solidarity connected to it like you know they would help it like the guy the Nepolitan guy would warn him you know if he saw a, like a p- police patrol you know he would actually like come through for him at difficult moments but like I can't see how any of that can extend beyond that street into like a kind of like a true intimacy within yeah. people's homes, within people's, yeah. I don't know.
1: I, I yeah. agree with you. I think it's linked to place and space. Mm. So, in it's linked, so they'll become very, you create a, a bond around that area, around that street. So, in that place, mm-hmm. these things are okay. So, yeah. in that space, that kind of language almost, tra- even though it is about race, it almost transcends race because they're talking about each other. They know each other, right? Mm-hmm. So, you, they will look after each other in that space. But outside that, they don't it's even know each other. Exactly.
0: And do you think that the lack of, well, our, the inability to create, to for that space to go into the intimate space, in what Antonia's referring to, is made even more difficult by the pressures of um, obviously the labour market, capitalism, austerity, local and global politics of yeah. race, class and capitalism makes it even harder to create that. Well. Or do you think it's because of a? So is it that, or is it also, or either what you were saying at the beginning of the episode? Italy not necessarily having
2: that internal conversation mm-hmm. with itself mm-hmm. about um, yeah yeah Go on. well yeah race yes I mean it's it's both of those things and there is a question of whether the people who are racialized in my research are in a position to be kind of pushing a conversation around that or doing anything other than just surviving and kind of finding redemptive spaces within what they're doing. And like, where does, the moments where I saw an impetus for real change take place were at that moment when livelihoods were threatened. So that was the point at which people kind of grouped together, spoke in different, you know, organized, I mean, organized political activities, in multiple languages uh, that was the point at which students got involved the student movement got that's the point at which the anti-racist scene in the city got involved but, you know and and certain gains were achieved in terms of protecting the right to you know keep selling things or whatever um but at the same time i remember going to, uh, there was a forum called the Anti-Racist Forum, it was alive and well at the time in Naples and then it sort of died out and I remember meeting a um, a woman there who was a student and was saying what we need to do is we need to go down there and we need to um, graffiti and like smash up some windows on that street and then people are going to start paying attention to um, the plight of the street vendors in this particular street market and I thought, do those we're talking about a street with uh, a street market where the vendors who are uh, mostly West African are quite elderly quite conservative very very religious um muslims sufi muslims and i thought would you like would they would they want you to be going up and smashing things or whatever it is that there's like this like incompatibility uh, you know even at that point where people got involved that that i kind of found it really uncomfortable that um that the kind of anti-racist movement, which is very dominantly white, but also um, involves a lot of, um, uh, particularly Senegalese men, at least in terms of the f- faction of that that I encountered in the city, um, there was kind of incommensurability there in terms of their organising, and I found that kind of uncomfortable. Um, but these, the, one of the things that really hit me as well about the street vendors I met, particularly in the Bologna market, was that some of them had been in New York, you know, in street markets in. And subjects of other ethnographies, by the way. I, mean, mm. I met someone who'd been in Harlem in like the 80s. And, um, you know, I was like, oh, I've read about that struggle where you got shut down by mm. um, uh, City Hall there. And so there was this, there's a memory of struggle and of organising around the kind of dignity of work that I think is there. But... Um, the intergenerationality of it doesn't seem to be present, at least in Naples. I mean, I think there's some interesting m- stuff happening in the north of Italy, like I think I said in you know the Spotlight series, um, around kind of making claims for identity and pushing conversations. But I don't see that happening so much in Naples.
1: As academics, we study something that's almost intangible. What happens at this at borders at a port at this at this kind of this crossroads? People keep moving it's not a static thing it's a it's a dynamic space mm-hmm. so as academics we try to kind of put labels or try and group these people and try and say this is happening that's happening but but it's something so complex mm. and so multifaceted that it's mm-hmm. that as soon as you grasp it you lose it because it's it's, it's not the same it changes over time it changes over sp- change over time change over space so i think I think the problem is, I think sometimes we've overstudied these areas too much. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we imbue it with too much meaning. Conviviality is what we do every day. Mm. And I think, I think that's what we can take away. Sometimes we get along, sometimes we don't.
2: And the same people are capable of, this, of the worst and the best. Yeah. And I
1: think that's the only thing you can come away with because that's what um, happens. And power as well. And power. And, and yeah. this is, but these are dynamics that have all gone on. And I think, like I said, we historically try to draw these lines like this, that ecstatic things. This has never been the way people mix. And I I and, and think it gets confused when we kind of heap nationalism upon it and we try to put borders here and we try and say this, this group of people are here and associate greatness with this, that, associate greatness with one type of person. But this is it's a messy process, man.
0: I do agree with you that it is a messy process. But I think in the context of the Mediterranean and my, migration, race and borders, we do have to talk about there being some very clear particularities and specificities around... These processes, all these messy processes that you say, Tiso, and in particular, I'm thinking about proximity to death, mm-hmm. proximity to drowning, proximity. Do you know what? Do you know what I mean? Like, so I think that there is consistencies, and yeah, there's. It's important to draw on these convivialities, but things do change, and things do change and stay the same. But equally, there is there is in thinking about the global and local together, and thinking about migration and borders. Like, we do have to consider. Who is more likely to be um, at the sharper end of everyday living? Mm-hmm. Um, who is more likely to need to, like you spoke in the beginning about, I don't know if it was on, if it was on me recording about um, people that you would know and have met that are derived like, via boats, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I think that, yeah, it is important to to talk about the fluidity of humanity and people, but I also think that addressing power and proximity, to death um or to be able to live really to be able to live is is, is really important for us now
1: mm-hmm.
2: and 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 di- different people of those people on the edge that I was working with have different rights of movement quite frankly yeah even though you know a lot of i mean some of the people that are in the book or who have informed the book in some way are literally in London right now you know mm-hmm. in um through via various circuitous routes um it did has always felt to me like um an edge space where the possibility and presence of death is um is kind of there and it's kind of ugly that's what came through, i think in your spotlight series as well that it made me think about a lot i mean it's happening here but it's cleaned up yeah i mean i remember it's coming diff- back yeah. from the field work and just being like right so clean i mean we've got a rubbish problem in Naples as many people know so
0: I don't know I don't know that was what's so problem? Uh,
2: so I mean Saviano talks about it in Gomorrah and people have it's um we have a problem with waste disposal which is connected to um organized crime um because so we kind of bury lots of rub like yeah. industrial waste from factories in the north of Italy and a, a lot of people there's areas where people get, get a lot of cancer basically so, fuck's sake so it's almost like but it's it's Europe's rubbish like a lot of it is Europe's rubbish right um, and also i mean after the tsunami a lot of um waste like washed up on the horn of africa and i think it was um kenya or beaches in ethiopia mm. somewhere somewhere i think it was some, or it could have been somalia but i remember reading about waste that had washed up on those shores that had actually been buried somewhere by the by some um a clan of the Camurra so it come. It was a kind of Neapolitan connection and then the waste got dislodged from wherever it had been shoved and and ended up um, on beaches right um, so it's like you, you know rubbish is piling down on you and you can see it because there's so much you can't get rid of it very easily and then here rubbish has been cleaned up but, and sent but to, it's been cleaned up because it's, it's somewhere else <laughs> yeah. I mean it's not just yeah. in Naples this is a global it's a planetary issue
1: Right, and, and there lies a point, like, so the shift is that realizing that we have existential problems that are global, right, mm-hmm. and they kind of push back an idea of the kind of national or kind of local particularities. Yeah. We're facing the issue that maybe these nationalist models that we've kind of put up, like Italy in the mm-hmm. 1870s, Germany, mm-hmm. Britain, these are fantasies, man, they don't make sense. In fact, mm-hmm. all they do is cause more problems, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. given that global, capital is global, Rubbish is global. Environment is global. People's movement is people's global. People's global. You can't stop it. How we are taught to understand Europe, mm. we are taught to understand Europe as in groups of people. Mm. But these groups of people at the time never saw themselves as as a separate group. They moved back and forth. Mm. So this has always been the issue. These creation of these kind of national ideas have become problematic. Mm. And in the late, well, in the mid 21st century, I think we're coming. We're coming. We're kind of seeing the kind of limits of nationalism. And you can see it, you can feel it. You can feel how people are pushing back saying, oh, I want to be, but no, it doesn't really make sense anymore.
2: No, and, and um, I think it's a, a, this idea of connectedness is what I find most useful in, you know, how, mm-hmm. how are we all connected to each other? How is it that, you know, the train lines in, in, in the UK are so, the edges are kind of relatively clean, but whereas when I'm getting a train up to Rome in Italy, then um, I see something very different from the tracks. <laughs> and it's it's not, they're not two separate issues. Um, so for me, it's really important to understand those connections. So I was talking earlier about how, um, you know, I was saying, look, Black Italy's in London because of racism. So mm-hmm. there's lots of Black Italians in London. So if you go to East London, there's um, like young British Bangladeshi kids who are speaking in Italian with an accent from Milan. Mm-hmm. So and you hear all of that in Westminster. There are. Uh, I remember seeing a Roma woman mm-hmm. um, who I know, I know was in Naples a few because I I you recognized. Saw I recognise that face. <laughs> this is just honestly. So, I could just sit and talk about this like for me, all day. It's like so I'm interesting. My, for Connecting. me, I'm like on this thread between these places with other stop. I mean, the stopping points become manifold. You know, in terms of like people I meet, and then I can see how um, how we are all complicit with each other's sort of life outcomes. And I think that's what I'm trying to do in many imperfect ways with this book, and hopefully with you know future work I do. But yeah.
0: Yeah. Antonia, that was that was big. brilliant. That was a big, big episode. That was a yeah, big yeah, episode That's a big episode, isn't it? That's one of my favourites of this yeah, year sick, so sick, far. Sick. That is amazing. Thank you so much, Antonia. Listeners, me. um, we'll have a Patreon episode for you over on Patreon now and then we'll be back next week with the main episode. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Surviving Society with Shontau and Tiso. You can now continue the conversation with us on Twitter and Instagram. If you enjoy the podcast and find it useful for your ever-expanding sociological imagination, please support us via Patreon.
1: If not, you can always support us by sharing, subscribing, rating, and reviewing.